when I first <clears throat> came to this church to be one of your pastors, seems like it was a long time ago. It was way last century, <laughs> last millennium. <laughs> it was a, a while ago, but just before I came, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> just before I came, I took my first and only trip to the Holy Land uh, to see that place we often teach about, know maps about, uh, explored through scripture, but I'd never been to. Went with a bunch of pastors, and we flew into Jordan. We're bussed down to the shores of the Dead Sea. Excuse me. <clears throat> you may know it as the lowest spot on earth, 1,300 feet below sea level. Went down there to a real nice uh, luxury resort for our first night, just to kind of spoil us, I think. Uh, my roommate, Bill, pastor friend of mine, and I uh, checked into our room. It was about midnight. We'd been traveling all day, but we were too excited to think about going to bed, going to sleep. So we walked down to the shore of the Dead Sea, got down there and kind of looked around for a place where we might wade in safely and did that just to kind of feel those salty waters. And before long, we were fully immersed in there just floating, as you may have heard, and you can float effortlessly in that saline, saturated water. And as we did that, we, we looked up over the moonlit, dry Judean hills and could see the glow of Jerusalem about 25 miles away. And as we did that, uh, we just experienced this wonderful start to that pilgrimage. And it's become a good reminder as I dove into this text of, of this conjunction of being fully immersed in salt and looking at the light. We've been looking at BLESS. It's an acronym to help us through some disciplines of sharing our faith. B-L-E-S-S. -S. We begin with prayer, listen with care, eat together, and now serve with love. These are all disciplines to help us, I want to say, salt the oats and prepare ourselves and, and others for the, the final sharing of our story and God's story. This week, I think we can ground it well in this text for a number of reasons. We've been talking about blesses, how we're blessed in order to be a blessing. And in a way, this, this great sermon probably the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, starts with a blessing to Jesus' disciples who are blessed, a ninefold blessing. We call them the Beatitudes. They're blessed, and yet Jesus goes on to refer to them as salt and light in a way saying you're blessed to, to be a blessing, to have an influence on the world around you. So let's take a closer look at this text and then at the end, we'll apply it to this whole process of, of sharing our faith and the good news of Jesus. You is the way both sections start, verse 13 and 14. You. Who is the you that Jesus is referring to? Who's he thinking about? Who's he looking at when he says this? If you go back to chapter 5, verse 1, and give us the context. Jesus saw the crowds. He went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying. So it's most directly the disciples he's 
saying this to. Others are probably overhearing it. But he's saying you, it's a, it's a plural you to his disciples, all of them. And it's an emphatic you as if to say, and, and not others, it's, it's you I'm talking about. You are. And it's the you that I think we want to enter into. If, if you're a believer in, in Christ here today, if you're a follower of him, this, this text is for you. You're included in, in Jesus' bigger picture of his disciples. You are. You right now are these elements. You are. You don't have to think about it in the future. It's not just in the past. It's not something you have to strive for. It's a, it's a given. You are what? You are the salt. You are the light. These are common everyday elements. I try to imagine a day without salt and light. When was the last time you lived a day without salt or light? They're, they're everyday, common, basic, essential, maybe even subtle kinds of influences. You don't sit around and pay a whole lot of attention to it. It just kind of happens. It's part of our lives. And so I think Jesus is referring to his followers in this in this essential, basic, everyday, common, subtle kind of influence. He's saying Christians influence what or whom? He goes on to say, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So there he's given us the sphere of our, of our influence as followers of him. And there seems to be clearly a distinction between the salt and the earth. There's a distinction between the light and the world. It's important that we remember this distinction, but also to recognize that Jesus didn't intend them to be separate. He intended there to be distinction, yes, but integration, some connection between the two. This has been a tension that the church has lived with, Christians have lived with down through the centuries. How do we keep this both distinction and connection going well. Salt is intended to be separate from the food that it seasons, and yet it's supposed to mingle in. It doesn't do much good if it just stays in the salt shaker. In the same way, light is only going to be useful and effective if it's, if it's infecting and changing the dark, bringing light in the darkness. Jesus intended his followers to be like that, distinct from and yet connected to and with uh, the whole world. Jesus would later pray for his disciples that they would be in the world, but not of the world. And I think this is one of our challenges. It's, it's been the tendency of the church to say, if I'm going to live the Christian life, um, I need to kind of separate myself into a little holy huddle here and and do it all to myself and with my best friends, and we'll be able to maintain our Christianity better that way. But that's not what Jesus wants of us. He wants us to be out of the salt shaker, into the world. On the other hand, we Christians can at times get so into the world and into the earth that you can't tell the difference. We behave like them, we look like them, we talk like everybody else, and and there's no distinction at that point 
the salt has lost its saltiness. The light has somehow been diminished and become dark itself. And, and so it's, it's maintaining that tension of how can we be distinct as Christ followers and yet stay engaged with the world and, and those around us who are often going to a different drummer. That challenge comes through in this text a, a number of ways. Jesus says in verse 13 that salt can actually lose its saltiness. And in, when that happens, it's no longer good for anything. It's thrown out, trampled, underfoot. But those are hard words to think that, that that can happen in our lives, that that can happen to us. And then a light that's intended to bring light to the whole household sometimes gets put under a, a bushel basket. It's hidden. That, too, is, is tragic. But I think in both images, Jesus is reminding us of another very important tension that he calls his followers to. And that is that we have an identity in him, but we also have a responsibility to live into that identity. That's one of the wonderful tensions of the New Testament all the way through is we're, we're told we, we have a wonderful heritage in Christ. We're told all the great things we are, how we've been blessed in him. And at the same time, we're encouraged through the commands of the New Testament to live into that, to experience it fully, to take hold of it and, and own it and believe it and live it. All the commands of the New Testament remind us that we have a responsibility. As salt, as light, we have responsibility. It doesn't just happen automatically. We need to take part in this. Jesus calls his disciples to have an influence in the world, but we're going to have to do something with that. He's made us salt and light, but are we going to become that? It's almost like the whole New Testament, and Jesus here is saying, be what you really are. Become fully what, you, what I've made you to be. I've called you the light of the world. Now shine. Shine into the darkness. Let your light shine. And I think that responsibility is what we're called to when we're wanting to share our faith with others, is to let that light shine. And Jesus goes on to say, here's the reason. Let it shine so that they, who's the they again? It's those who aren't my disciples, who aren't believing me, who aren't following me, so that they may See your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. You know, salt and light are going to have very tangible results. You're going to taste it. You're going to see it. And it brings blessing to others who taste and see. In much the same way, we as Christians are to be tangible, a little more evident in the world. We can be very subtle very seldom do people pay a whole lot of attention to salt and light, but at the same time, we can bless others by just letting our light shine, letting the salt shake out. And how is it? It's by our good works. That's what Jesus points to. Some of you may have a little alarms going off. Oh, I don't like good works, but let me tell you, good works are bad if they're done to get right with God. 
Good works are bad if the reason we're doing it is to get right with God. That's, that's not what the New Testament teaches. That's, that's wrong. Good works are bad if we're doing it to impress other people. Trying to make us look good, holy, pious, religious. If that's why we're doing it, they're bad. Jesus tells his disciples that in Matthew chapter 6. So good works can be bad. Good works are good if we use them as evidence that we have been made right by God's grace through Jesus Christ. And we want to live into that goodness and share it with others so that they might trust Christ too. You see, it's all, it's all about God in that case. The good works can be good. And that's what Jesus is calling his disciples to. Not the good works that are bad, but the good works that are good and helpful and bring glory to God. See, it's about, it's about him, not about us. In some ways, I believe Jesus is the salt and the light living within us. And our job is simply to let that salt out, let that light shine, to let him do the work he lives within us to do. That's why he's left us here to have a positive influence on the world around us. Even those who don't believe. Maybe especially those who don't believe. And that's why we're, we're called to this practice of serving in love. I really believe there are a lot of people out there that will not hear our good words until after they've seen our good works. Good works that don't just bring attention to ourselves, but to show that Christ is living within and we really care for them and, and give the glory to God. I think someone has said it this way, that a lot of people want to know that we care long before they care what we know about Jesus and God. And so the serving others in love is a way of putting to action tangible ways that open the door for our sharing our story, sharing our faith in Christ a little later on. And so our insert gives us some very practical suggestions on how we might do that. Uh, this is a short list. I think we could even lengthen it. We've got a couple minutes maybe to do that, but let me just scan them. If you take your insert, on the back side are some serving samples. Just some ideas. What a good work, uh, an opportunity of serving and love this week. Have dinner, if you look at the bullet points. Have dinner together. How about serve through some small act of kindness? Jesus referred to one point as a cup of cold water served in his name. Cup of cold water, it doesn't take much. A small act of kindness. Volunteer to take care of a tangible need. And you can see some listed there. Make a birthday special. Join a community service project with others. Send a greeting card. Offer to pray. Not just, you know, I'll be praying for you, but maybe can I pray right now with you? Keep them company. Give or lend something. Don't miss the big needs like some stressful situations in someone's life. You may know of a neighbor or friend they are going through a, a really hard time. This would be a wonderful time to show up with the, uh, the good 
loving care and service of Christ. And I like this last bullet point. Allow others to reciprocate and serve you. Oh, no, no, I, no, no, you know, I don't need your service. I just want to be the one who serves. See, there's a real grace to receiving service, letting, letting someone else um, bring blessing into our lives. That's a wonderful way of making it reciprocal. These are just promptings, um, beginning points. Would you like to add some to the list? Maybe some that you've experienced or expressed. You've been on the receiving end or the giving end, and it's been a meaningful way of now serving you in love, a great witness to Christ. What would you add to this list just to keep the juices flowing? Bye. Listen. Challenge when appropriate. Okay, good. Just some conversational skills. Other thoughts? Just to keep the promptings going? One more. No more? Okay. Okay, great. Just a text with a Bible verse. At the right time, a timely message like that can mean it mean a whole lot. Well, what I'd like you to do is just take a, a minute, maybe at most, sometimes a minute's a long time in a worship service. Just take a minute, and with God's Spirit guiding us, um, think of one person who you would hope would come to faith sometime soon. Trust Christ, follow him, some person in your life, and maybe one way just one way that you might reach out in serving that person in a tangible expression of love this week. So one person, one act of, of kindness, one good work, and uh, let that be something you commit to in these moments of quiet.